podcast about Christianity, politics, culture, and radically optimistic take on all of those things. Good to be back in the same room. Yes, last week or last time we were doing it, Taylor was in his car on Zoom. Yeah, I threw off the timing. And we're here to discuss the midterms. Midterm elections. United States election midterms. <laughs> That's For those right. who are wondering, I don't want to assume everyone knows what the midterms mean. That's right. So, <laughs> not a presidential election, but the election every two years. <laughs> Your House of uh, Representatives members are up for election, so they are they have to run every two years. Um, uh, how many senators? A third. Oh, I should know that off the top of my head. I do trivia. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's like a third or something. Yes. And there's like weird off off year ones, like Virginia. Yeah, and then but there were also I believe thirty six governors races happening. As right. well as state legislatures right. and all sorts of mayors and whatnot. So, Rachel, why was there so much buzz about the 2022 midterms? Yes. Well, setting the scene, um, typically in a, pr- a president's uh, first term, their first midterm a president's party performs poorly. That's kind of historically shown hmm. most midterms, except for um, President George W. Bush's midterm when uh, we were kind of rallying in unity as a country after 9-11 was one of the only exceptions. Um, and in addition to history, um, there was also this sense that the country is on the wrong track. So, you know, across party lines, people have felt that cost of living um, was very high, that grocery prices were high, gas prices were high, uh, inflation is extremely high. So, you know, people looking to buy a house, their interest rates and cars' interest rates are astronomical. Uh, so there's just kind of this sense of economic unease that everyone is feeling. And then on top of that, we've got some unease around potential nuclear threat from uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin. So this kind of general sense of unease and security going into this election, people thought that Republicans should have had the wind at their backs. People were talking about a red wave. Um, that was going into it. Going into it. Yeah. So with with these environmental factors, things should have favored Republicans. Well, fast forward to election night, and what happened? <laughs> uh, it was not a red wave, maybe a red ripple. Is that what they're calling it? A red trickle, a red ripple. Um, races have still to be called. What was it? Thirty outstanding. Uh, what was that? 36 outstanding? 36 or 32 outstanding, outstanding 32 races. outstanding races as of Friday, November 11th. The election was on Tuesday of this week. That's House races. And then yes, we've true. got three outstanding governors, or I'm sorry, senators races. And yes. these are the three races that will determine who takes control of the Senate. So Georgia will have a runoff election because it's too close to call the runoff. It will be in December. Because the winner has to get 50%. Yes. And then Arizona and Nevada. That's right. Are the other ones. That's right. So Republicans will actually take the Senate if they win 
two out of those three. So, you know, we're waiting on Georgia. Um, it could become irrelevant if Nevada and Arizona get called for Democrats. Then Georgia doesn't really matter that much this cycle. But um, because Democrats would have control of the Senate. That's right. And that's the real prize up for up grabs. For grabs. Yep. It's, you know, thought there is with the 32 outstanding House races, there is a chance that. Democrats could still hold on to a House majority, but it's looking like House Republicans will still take a slim majority with those outstanding races because they only need to net five seats in order to win. So it's an ever-changing list of details, <laughs> but like bigger, bigger narratives. I think, you know, your point at the beginning is interesting on midterms are usually, they usually run, go poorly for the president's party right right for various reasons is it because presidents presidents are elected with all these you know promises and hopes and dreams then of course they can never accomplish them all so then people get especially in the first two years yeah some people get what upset and irritated like oh we gave you your party a chance let's go with the other other guys now yeah i think so that's how it works and especially because typically right in our country, you have your polls, you have your people who are firmly Republican, firmly Democrat, and then you have this large, what people call the movable middle, independence in the middle. And independents kind of swing back and forth. And history has also shown that in the midterms, uh, independents normally by double digit margins choose a party that's not in the White House. So opposite. So huh. in this case, you know, Democrat in the White House, independents were supposed to have gone for Republicans. So you look at the last midterm when Trump was the president, the independent vote was 12 points in Democrats' favor. You look back at 2006 when George W. Bush was in the Oval Office, 18 points in the other direction. Hmm. When Obama was president, midterms 2010, 2014, independents were 16 points and 12 points in the Republican direction. Wow. But this election Uh-oh. bucked that trend. Independence went only 49 in the way of Democrats. 49, 48 in the way of Democrats. So there wasn't... Uh, okay, it wasn't a huge uh, majority going for Republicans. Yeah. In other words. Yeah, one point there. So it was just... Um, right. Independence broke Republicans' wind. <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> they did what? <laughs> the wind was at their back. <laughs> you know what I mean. The wind was at their we back. all know what you mean, Rachel. <laughs> they uh they um they broke their momentum. <laughs> it's yeah. Maybe a better <laughs> put that. There's our podcast episode name. Um <laughs> So I, I found it fascinating, like, the president, the President Biden, President Biden did not give any uh, press conferences on Tuesday. Like, I remember the, the morning news is like, he's told the media he's going to go silent. And they took that as a signal that it's going to be a bad day for Democrats. But then, like, he did do a press conference <laughs> the next day because it turned out, oh, actually, it's going pretty well for Democrats. And then the other... Uh, interesting thing he's been watching former President Trump and all this, right? Yes. Uh, 
with Florida in particular, you know, every, all of us. Uh, Let's talk about Florida, yeah. Okay. You, you always want to talk about Florida. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Florida. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so President Trump and Florida's current governor, Ron DeSantis, you know, this looming potential political rivalry for the presidency in 2024, the Republican nomination, what's going to happen. So everyone is paying attention to the Florida governor's race in particular, and even the Florida house races, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, to see how Governor DeSantis would do, because this could give him political capital and juice going into 2024. And how did it turn out, Rachel? It was actually historic and not using that hyperbolically president or president DeSantis. I'm already saying it. <laughs> oh, no. Governor DeSantis won by a whopping 20 points. And, you know, that's not just unusual given what happened in the rest of the states is midterm that, you know, Republicans either won narrowly or didn't win at all. Um, this is actually historic. You know, you think back, Florida used to be called a swing state and that it was purple, potentially turning blue um, for the past decade. And the biggest kind of margin of victory in recent years was Jeb Bush won by 12.8 percentage points in 2002. Hmm. So this was better than Jeb, exclamation point. <laughs> and um, that was the previous, you know, high watermark. So this was huge. Um Having Marco Rubio on the ticket as well, they won Miami-Dade County, which is traditionally blue. All these blue areas hmm. of Florida um, had amazing Republican turnout. So I'm, I work around a lot of smart people like you, Rachel, married to you, of course. Uh, <laughs> runs deeper than just merely working together. But people are always talk about Miami-Dade County, Miami-Dade County. Where the heck is Miami-Dade County? <laughs> just Miami. I mean, it's the bottom tip of Florida. So you just, you, you just like, uh, I don't know, draw a straight line from East Coast to West Coast, boom, there's Miami-Dade County? Just, yeah, the t yeah, Miami down in the like south. Like if you dip south Florida in chocolate. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Why do we, why do we, why are always people always going on and on about Miami-Dade County? Well, it's like most, so most states have this phenomenon where rural, rural areas are red and okay. cities are blue. And that has been, you know, no different in Florida. Where you have, you know, most you look at a map of Florida and it shows mostly red and then you have these little blue pockets of these big cities. Right. Like most states. Like most states. Yeah. And but Miami in particular, because it's a large um, Hispanic population. Right. And typically Republicans don't play as well with Hispanic populations. Okay. Um, and so it's seen as, you know, difficult to win because of that, because it's an urban area, because of the Hispanic population. But this shows that Republicans did, well, DeSantis and Rubio did well with a, a large Hispanic population. Okay. So, so it's rural and urban? No, it's urban. Just, okay, so it's solely urban, uh, mostly Hispanic? Yes, yes. Okay. I mean, large areas of it only speak Spanish. Got it, got it. Okay, so, so that's why everyone's talking about it. Yep. Okay, it's maybe a bellwether. So now uh, this... And it just never goes blue. Since Jeb Bush, it has not gone red. So there's discussion. Is this the the wind going out of the sails? <laughs> Back to the wind. Why are we talking about wind so much? It's a rainy day here. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and going so... Going out of Trump, like, is this the and beginning this of the end? Because... DeSantis far outperformed 
his own performance in 2020, but also President Trump. Ah, um, yes. So, you know, far outperformed President Trump in Florida, and President Trump did fairly well in Florida. So it was kind of this sign that, oh, wow, DeSantis's you know, political machine, political prowess, himself as a candidate, what he runs on, all of that is superior to Trump. Mm. And so the next day, Fox News, the New York Post, Wall Street Journal, all of these kind of conservative news outlets. Usually ass- very Trumpy. Essentially, except for Wall Street Journal, but yeah. Oh, true. Okay. Essentially um, declared that DeSantis is the new leader of the Republican Party. Uh, new York Post, two days later, said had a funny cover <laughs> that said, Dumpty Trumpy, Dumpy Trumpy. Trumpy Dumpty. Trumpy Dumpty. Him as an egg, yeah. yeah. Um, so this essentially, you know, the chatter around this election is that uh, DeSantis is now the leader of the party, that Trump massively failed um, in this election. And so, you know, talking about other seats, yes, Trump played heavily in the midterm election. True, true. He had a lot of money to spend, he did not spend it all, by the way, to help Republicans win. Um, but where he did, he you know endorsed some of these ca- Republican candidates in the primaries that were not good, that independents don't want to vote for. Mm. Um, my kind of big picture, I mean, there were a lot of little factors at play, so mm. no one can declare definitively you know, what the thing was. But people just want to have security. They don't want to feel like someone... Mm crazy is representing them <laughs> like in in general right like i feel that way most people feel that way and so uh-huh. trump endorsed a lot of these people that in primaries that you just kind of felt like they were a little crazy so you know a big example of this house race in michigan uh there republicans held this seat by a representative named pete meyer okay Republican seat, but Pete Meyer would not say that the 2020 election was stolen. So Trump hated him. So Trump picked a primary opponent to beat him. This guy, John Gibbs. Okay. What happened? Crazy sounding. (laughs) Said, you know, crazy things to some people, not everyone. But but most importantly, John Gibbs thought the 2020 election was stolen, said that. Uh So Trump picked him because of that one issue. Uh Uh-huh. John Gibbs lost the seat. That seat is now a Democratic seat. Nice. Good work. And so this, you just, um, he picked all these candidates in primaries that could not win in a general election. Like the high profile one. I mean, success was what J.D. Vance in Ohio, in Ohio running the Senate, Republican Senate seat there. But uh, with a caveat that, so in um, Georgia and Ohio, where Trump picked, uh-huh. you know, endorsed these Senate candidates, um, the governors that ran in those states on Republican tickets ran ahead of the Trump ah, candidate. Right, right, right. So right, right, Governor right. Mike DeWine in Ohio and then Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia um, got more Republican votes than J.D. Vance and Herschel Walker, the Trump picks. And that just shows that Republicans or independents showed up to the polls, mm-hmm. voted for a Republican governor, but not the Senate yes. candidate. Yes. So cracks showing in the uh, the Trump king making machine. But, you know, as uh, as I've said to you already, Rachel and others, we've been saying 
maybe this is the beginning of the end with the, the Trump machines for the last seven years almost. So I uh, I don't want to read too much into it. You never know what can happen. But, I mean, there seems to be maybe amongst Trump voters, roots, grassroots, some shifting momentum. Time will tell. Yeah, even if you, I just think if, if you, everyone, people disagree on what happened in the 2020 election, let's say, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, DeSantis mm-hmm. can win a broad coalition because he has a track record of success. He governs strongly. People have faith that things will go in a good direction with the economy, um, with being able to just live their lives <laughs> um, <laughs> without worry of, you know, what someone's going to tweet next or say next that's going to send things spiraling. <laughs> no one may, able to, may be able to tweet soon. <laughs> The way Twitter's going, we'll see on that. So what should Christians think of all this? Hmm. You go first. You go first. Me go first. Uh, man. Christians, I think, have an opportunity to participate. Many of them do in midterm elections. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, it's not profound. <laughs> um, an opportunity. Do you think it's a, like, I'm going to say moral, but moral imperative to participate and vote? Hmm. I think there is a running from Christ's uh, command to love our neighbors as ourselves. I think there is a, a political element of that. You know, he was saying it in the context where voting was not a thing for individuals and <laughs> citizens. True. <laughs> uh, I think for us in an American context in 2022, I think, you know, uh, I can take different non-political like i think most of that commandment is non-political but some can be political don't forget about local state elections you know federal is we talk about federal 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 but wherever we live maybe there's a a non-governmental like homeowners association and participating well in that context can be living out that that command to love our neighbor i love a former boss of mine would say like we need to get our house in order before you care about the white house (laughs) so our Mm. house being your local community and Mm. whatnot yeah um you know i kind of agree with that that you know you got to focus on your own house your own community your own locality your own state um not that it's mutually exclusive but a focus on on local elections yeah and i think uh you listed out a a litany of headwinds (laughs) problems (laughs) Uh, Wins. yeah, inflation, economy. We had, you know, Dr. Van Skin last episode talking about the economic issues, foreign policy problems. Um, that can be kind of uh, scary, and it's easy to grab the hammer of politics as the, the solution set. And I think it's, it's important to remember, like, where do we fall in like the scope of history? Like, things are not as bad as they've been before especially for Christians. And I think for Christians, especially we have this cosmic timeline we're in and our hope is not in what happens in the political level, but ultimately what happens in the eternal level. Amen. That's a good word. So, okay. yeah, it's this balance of, we do have a responsibility to play in the political because it, it play in the, to participate in the political because right. we have this commandment to love our neighbor. And then, there's also this level of 
in the scheme of things, it's not the most important thing, mm-hmm. you know, our eternal um, perspective and working for the kingdom of God is way more important than the kingdom of the United States. Good word. Stinkers and thinkers, shifting gears. Shifting gears. Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, by my tone, my stinker is <laughs> everything former President Trump has said this week. <laughs> you know, mostly that he's trashing on Ron DeSantis and calling him Ron DeSanctimonious and saying that people only move to Florida because there's sunshine. He literally said that in the statement oh, yeah. yesterday <laughs> that he's just an average governor with good PR. It's a big stinker. <laughs> and like a, a gift to Ron DeSantis. Um, and he totally could have like claimed some victory in it. If right. he just done right. own goal. Um, my stinker, I've been playing the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> and you know, it's like a what they call a what triple A title, you know, millions of dollars, if not hundreds of million dollars invested in developing these games at this this level. I paid uh seventy dollars for it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well But it's just it was just it was, you know, it was very polished and fun. But there was some uh missions in like the campaign where i felt like i was playing an arcade game in my uh when i was like eight or ten years old it was just like this endless stream of like a convoy and i'm just like hopping from truck to truck and it reminded me of the like the pizza hut like shoot 'em games in like 1995 <laughs> and it was just bizarre like here we are in 2022 with hundreds of millions of dollars we really haven't seemingly uh invented anything new <laughs> it was just uh, a much fancier version that would have blown my 10 year old mind of course uh but here we are uh how many years 20 years later you fell prey to brand loyalty i guess so and other parts of it have been fun and enjoyable it was just like so weird that uh like hey guys we've we've done this before hmm. well i don't have much of an opinion about that other than our family <laughs> budget but <laughs> But think of it, it would, there were, I, I saw someone break it down, and I think there were like 17 missions in the campaign. So how many, it's like, what, 10 bucks a pop? Okay. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Time well spent. That's right. A movie ticket. It makes you feel think of happy. It that way. <laughs> I guess it doesn't, because it was your stinker. No, so. no, no. I enjoyed a lot of it, but there were stinker elements. Okay. Well, <laughs> moving on to thinkers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to thinkers. <laughs> I'm really happy for you. <laughs> um, my thinker is surprising. It's Seinfeld. We have been watching wow. it. You were such a downer on it, too. I know. I don't know. For whatever reason, I thought, like, I I was firmly in this I don't like laugh track old sitcom things. And it has been surprisingly just like all the sketches are so funny. Like so many of them are true to life <laughs> of things like everybody experiences and the characters are just so funny. Um, so it has been a good, you know, the stage of life, little kids, busy days. We have 20 minutes of free time. 20 minutes of free time. I'm glad to use it laughing yeah, really yeah, hard. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad because I started watching it as like so when uh, first child was born it was cheers was the like okay i need to watch this historical and show person. and then i turned on seinfeld and then you i'm glad you joined 
Um, my thinker is a work-related thinker. Uh, a new paper we published last night, hot off the press, by former representative Chris Cox. His retrospective telling the, the story of his co-authorship of Section 230. Um, what is it, Section 230, Taylor? It is a law that protects online platforms, websites from frivolous lawsuits. And you've probably heard about it a lot. Well, I don't know. I don't normal. I, I don't know if like normal people hear about it, but you may have heard it mentioned at least once. And this is it's a. I, I haven't seen anything like this paper. Like this is the, from the guy who helped write the law uh, in 1996. Yeah, I should know. And. It's, a, it's like a narrative form. It's not a policy paper. Uh, lots of interesting context. So if you're at all curious about Section 230, it's it's a must read. Yeah, so Section 230, some would say, are the words that created the internet as we know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it protects, you know, platforms from being sued if uh, somebody posts something on there that is crazy. Uh, so, you know, if we don't, Facebook can't be sued for me posting uh, an insult to you, Rachel. Right, a defamatory. You, I would be the one being sued. So uh, you can imagine a world where if there, if there weren't that uh, legal protection, what would, how much would uh, Facebook moderate their content? They probably wouldn't allow much up or everything that would get pre-approval or something like that. Right, right. That's, right. I think that's it. We that's covered it all. <laughs> we hit it all. Um, hope you all had a good election week. And this is We're the Barclays. Yeah, but I